Hello, I'm Rich Terring. I never listen to Nerdology <laughs> because I am way too cool. But carry on listening, nerds. Hi, I'm Mark, and welcome to episode 52 of Nerdology. Yes, it's been a while. And with me today, our very special guest is Mr... Oh, no, it's not Mr... No, no, it's not. <laughs> First hurdle. I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> it's Dr. Matthew Barber. Hello, Matt. Hello. Hi there. How are you? How are you? I'm very well, and I'm honoured to be sat here in your 52nd episode. Yes, uh, it also corresponds with our 10th anniversary. Yes, we started the podcast all the way back in January 2012. Blimey, when you were how old? You were in your 30s. Th- 38, yes. Seems so long ago now. An age appropriate for people doing podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say, Matt? Well, si- since well, I, when was I on it last? Was that episode 10? Uh, no, you were on with Ian, weren't you? Not that long ago. Oh, no, no, this podcast, not your other podcast. No, this was this podcast. Was I? Oh, you yes. Did, yeah, 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 I did. Twin, no. You talked about the... Um, Twin Peaks? No, no you talk, talked about the new adventures. Oh, the new adventures. Oh, I didn't realise that. It was such a memorable chat. I didn't realise. I thought that was a special of your new podcast rather than... The no, 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 okay. no, no. I, yeah. I get asked on so many podcasts, it's really difficult. Uh, what to... it is to be popular. Yeah, right? I know, I know. I, yeah, just, yeah. I should really keep track of things. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on today. It's been somewhat quiet on the feed because I've been a little bit uh, carried away with the other project, which is All of Time and Space, which is the Doctor Who podcast I do with my dear friend, Mr. Ian Martin. So uh, as we are recording at the moment, our next episode to go out is going to be on the Ark. Wow, that's a rocking... Actually, that is quite an exciting one. I quite like it. Well, yeah. spoilers. Yeah. Uh, yes, so uh, we are joined for that one by the lovely Lindsay from Trek This Out, Star Trek podcast, and Millie McKenzie, who is a bit of a, a Twitter sensation with all of her clay modeling of Doctor Who figures. I mean your your other podcast, may I say, mm. you've kind of cracked into something. Have we? But, well, I think so because actually uh, what I'm about to say sounds negative to start with, but it but it becomes <laughs> positive. Going through epi- Doctor Who episode or story by story isn't an original yeah. idea, obviously. It's really? I thought we do. were the first ones to think of it. You you are yeah. uh, obviously you may have been the first <laughs> ones to think about it, but you weren't the yeah. first ones to implement it. But no, no. getting guests as interesting as the ones you've got, including me, but beyond me, getting <laughs> yeah. guests with different voices each each month to give their view and then expanding it to their philosophy yeah. of Doctor Who and their general view of Doctor Who and what they do in Doctor Who, that's, that's made it quite special because other podcasts, which are great, have mm. two people or three people just regularly looking, watching Doctor Who and they, they yeah. form their own presumptions. But by mm-hmm. bringing the guests in, you know, you get it keeps it fresh. Voices. It keeps it fresh. Yeah. 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 No, it's something I carried over from this podcast. Sorry, going a little bit inside baseball here already. Um, when I first started the podcast, I found it very hard to believe that anyone would want to listen to me just jabbering on 
solo for any amount of time. So I figured it would be good to have like a sort of revolving door of guests coming in to, to chat about different topics. And I've kind of carried that over to the other show, although we've got the amazing Ian, who's hilarious and uh, comes out with some uh, very interesting points on the stories we cover. It's nice to have that little bit of balance sometimes and have someone with a different take on it. Of course, now you need a, an episode of Nodology where you're the guest. So because mm. people would be interested in, in you babbling on. Well, well, that remains to be seen. Anyway, <laughs> so the reason I dragged you on yes. uh, is we should talk about, I know this is something you're very reticent to talk about and you have barely mentioned <laughs> it at all, um, but I understand that you have a book out. Is that right? I have for years now. There's a half life. I mean, not not that you've been to these things. Not that you've been living off this uh, particular tome for how long now? In fairness, in fairness to me, first <laughs> first of all, I was trying to sell it because I was proud of it, which I still am mm-hmm. proud of it. So yeah. I was mentioning it a, a bit on social media. Yeah, yeah. And then I thought it was quite funny if if every time <laughs> anything's mentioned, I managed to shoehorn the demons into it, particularly on the yeah. podcast that I'm on regularly. Yeah. Um, which now now we often appear on YouTube as well. So I've mm. always got a you copy. You've got as your background. Or... Always got a copy handy to just hold <laughs> up in front of the camera. So then it became a running joke. Mm. And then I, I became a bit disturbed by the running joke because I became uncomfortable promoting it. Stopped doing <laughs> it. But then other people started doing it on my behalf <laughs> and dragging me into it. Yes, I don't know if you've noticed, because you probably don't listen to all of them, but uh, when we do our um, end-of-season wrap-ups on on the other show, we tend to retire back to um, the local pub from the 1970s. It's called The Obverse Book. Oh, nice. Mm. Nice. Mm. So uh, even when you're not on the show, you're still getting referenced. Yeah, obviously, as as is correct and right. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, it's my sparkling, charismatic you know something or other mm. so so yeah mm. i have written i have i did write a book yes I, I, any I, plans to write another one or are you just going to keep uh living off the uh I, always so prestige of this one i always have plans to write another one mm. i've i've got one earmarked which i'm interested in and i'm kind of waiting for someone else to write it so that i don't have to earmark <laughs> it anymore the reason being when i wrote the first book i had access to a university library Mm-hmm. which was important for me yeah. in the writing of the book. Um, I had a lot more time. Um, and now I just think, I just think the, the, the Black Archive books... We should probably mention for the three people who don't know, you've written for the Black Archive series, which is published yeah. by Obverse Books, and yeah. it's uh, a series of books where they focus specifically on a, uh, a story in each book. Yeah. And... Just just to give anyone out there who hasn't tried one yet, what what's the kind of flavour that they're looking for? Is it does it change dramatically from author to author or is there like a house style? It's there's not a house style and the the content does change dramatically from author mm-hmm. to author. But the kind of the ethos behind each book is the same, which is it's supposed to be academic level quality. So mm-hmm. they're kind of looking for people who can write to an academic quality, which means you do research or you have to prove the uh-huh. points you make. You have to write something watertight. It's not... It's You're not, not copying and pasting from Wikipedia. No, and it's not, no. I like this story because... 
Yeah. This happens, this happens, this happens. I'd yeah. like, or in this story, this happens. My headcanon mm. tells me that the doctor was eating bacon and eggs on this day, which <laughs> is why he broke wind on this day. So they're not looking for that. They're looking for something. They're looking for people who take the story as the kind of the, the trampoline. It's like a starting point. Yeah. To allow them to launch into other subjects. So yeah. um, Image of the Fendal talks about astronomy mm-hmm. and, and goes off into astronomy. Um, the Time Warrior, I think it's Matt, Matt Kilburn, Matty Kilburn, goes off into everything. Yeah. <laughs> From the Time Warrior, it's a gothic fiction and the medieval, and he goes all over the place. Mm-hmm. But so it's it's always used as this kind of framework for yeah. for broader subjects, which is why mm-hmm. it's different each time. Yeah. Um, and the, yes, so they are all different. Uh, they're all roughly the same length. Uh, so so they're kind of bite sized, but they're sort of novella length. Yeah. Studies. So the the classic serial that you chose to cover in your black archive was so i chose the demons mm-hmm. and i chose it not not because it's my favorite ever doctor who story not because i'm obsessed with it um although i quite like it and mm-hmm. i enjoy it and i find yeah. it fun you'd have to if you're going to write a book about yeah, it. yeah i think sure. you have to so for me and this is the same with any academic writing because academic writing you spend a hell of a long time just on one subject and teasing something apart mm. if you choose something you absolutely love then you probably won't absolutely love it once you've once you've finished writing about it so choosing something you like is essential because yeah. you're going to spend some time with it choosing something mm-hmm. you don't absolutely love is qu- probably quite a good idea yeah so you can keep keep that Keeping enthusiasm it balanced. for the things yeah. yeah yeah so i chose the demons but i chose the demons because because of because I knew I was going to have to write academically, uh, mm. which I've had some experience of. Um, in fact, my my brain has been battered by <laughs> by degrees to such an extent that I can't I can't not write academically, mm-hmm. which which sounds really pompous, but it's actually a big <laughs> problem because I write. I wrote a short story. a real story. problem when you're trying to do the shopping list when you're nipping down to Waitrose. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, almost exactly. But <laughs> I wrote a short story for Seasons of War. Yeah. And I had to really loosen the hell, out, hell up mm-hmm. once I'd written one draft because I'd written it in a really strict three-act structure yeah, where everything yeah. tied together like clockwork. And mm-hmm. I was really pleased with it. But it actually lacked any sort of humour or fun. Yeah. Um. So, so, so yeah, I've... I knew I was going to have to approach a story academically. Mm-hmm. Um, and my academic background, which is where I start sounding like a CV. Um, <laughs> I did a degree in medieval studies. That was yeah. my undergraduate, which was art, architecture and literature and iconography. So mm-hmm. a really broad range of yeah. everything medieval. And mm. during that, I became interested in folklore and and 16th, 17th century literature, which was slightly mm-hmm. slightly further along the timeline. Starting to see where this starts yeah. to come into play, yeah. So then then I found that they did an MA at Exeter in the history and literature of witchcraft, mm. which I think it was Bangor and, and Exeter uh-huh. did witchcraft as a subject, which is a, witchcraft is a whole academic area, bizarrely yeah. or not. It's not a... It's not just a fun subject. It's actually an, an academic discipline yeah. that people study. Mm-hmm. They're like book series of witchcraft and witchcraft studies. Yeah. Um, so I did the MA in that. Um, and then the then I did a PhD, but that was American presidents in film and television. 
So the the other the other Bit episode, of of, gear then, yeah. the other potential episode of Nerdology would be the West Wing, which I think I did do. Did yes. I do another? Yeah. Yes, you did. So that's that's the obviously PhD. you've been scarred by the experience. Yeah. So <laughs> I was looking at Doctor Who as in general and thinking. So I've got these. I've got this knowledge base, or I, it's not even. I don't. It's not even that I have this knowledge. I have this awareness of what books there are out there. Mm-hmm. that would give me more knowledge in this area than yeah. other people. So I, I know where to get the knowledge rather so than... So you already had a head knowledge. start with the sort of the research side of things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just absolutely. because of your previous endeavours. The research and also I had I had access to people. So mm-hmm. I was friendly with academics who are, you know, prominent academics in the area. Yeah. Um, so I could get advanced copies of of books that certain okay. academics were writing yeah. um, or I could get their opinions of on mm. Doctor Who or I could check Alistair Crowley's, how to pronounce Alistair Crowley's name, which mm-hmm. um, which is actually quite an important thing. And it's, and it's immediate. <laughs> so oh, here's a sidestep. So we always okay. diverge. Alistair Crowley. We do. Alistair Crowley was a famous occultist yeah. in the 20th century. And mm-hmm. Dennis Wheatley based his his sort of Arch Satanist on Alistair Crowley. He was a lunatic. Alistair Crowley was a lunatic, uh-huh. a sort of a poet mountaineer who started mm-hmm. uh, an occult society and tried to summon, basically, tried to summon demons to give him power, and mm-hmm. ended up, I think, dying in Brighton somewhere in a nursing oh, home, penniless. But the name Crowley, Crowley, mm-hmm. Crowley, the pronunciation of that that is important because. Members of the Golden Dawn, members, people who are in the know, people who know, know yeah. how to pronounce that name correctly. It's mm-hmm. like a shibboleth. It's like a password that secret, if you pronounce it in a particular spoken way, spoken handshake. Yeah. If you pronounce it in a particular way, mm. then people know that you know and that you're a member. You know your you're onions. Potentially a member yeah. of this sort of secret mm-hmm. Masonic-ish society. Yeah. I can't remember what that pronunciation <laughs> is. I was told. I was told. By this this Western esotericist and and kind of I think member of the Golden Dawn, how to pronounce mm. his name, and mm-hmm. I can't for the life of me remember it. It's like a, it's like oh a, well, that's what someone who would know how to pronounce it would say, Matthew. Well, it's mm. like it's like there's a sort of Very hypnosis suspicious. mind wipe. For it. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was I talking about before I? So when you're talking about was. writing academically, yeah. So yeah. yes, I appreciate you know you're looking at. Um, the sort of uh, the greater context of the the story and what it's trying to to yeah. tell, but I take it you probably still have to perhaps give it a slightly different flavour for someone who's looking to to purchase a book as opposed to um, a board that you're submitting your thesis to. So yes, to a degree, but mm. academic writing has been maligned slightly slightly unfairly at a certain level if mm-hmm. if you if you're unable if a non-academic person is unable to write to read a piece of academic work and roughly understand it then that academic work probably isn't very well written but with the with the caveat that often academic piece of pieces of work are written about subjects that mm-hmm. are quite advanced so i wouldn't expect to write, read a phd in physics and understand it. Yeah. But if you're writing, reading a PhD in Doctor Who, say, 
yeah. then you should be able to roughly understand it. Things should be explained. Mm-hmm. There are there are sort of pieces of theory that are, that you might have to do a bit of extra background reading to give yourself a head up heads up to, but mm-hmm. actually the language itself should be clear and it should be should be easy to understand. Um, but yes, I think writing for the Black Archive, you write in an academic way, you get the structure and the content and the research right, mm-hmm. and then you go back and you loosen it up a bit. It has to have a bit of humour in it. It yeah. has to have a bit of lightness in it. You don't mm-hmm. have to be as rigorous as you would for a PhD. So you're writing an MA level yeah. piece of work. Did you find? Did you find that you came away having finished the book with a different take on that story, or was it very much um, sort of already kind of solidifying what you already knew? Um, no, I definitely had a different take on it. It definitely, mm. it forced me to watch the story with a different head on. Yeah. Like Wurzel Gummidge. Um, <laughs> God. Because, because, because my starting point was, so I had the degree. So my, my way of choosing the story was I tried to choose the story to match the degree, not choosing mm. a story and then trying to force yeah. the degree to shape it. Uh-huh. So the, the demons... The demons I knew I liked, but I hadn't really watched it thinking what type of a witch is Miss Hawthorne? What yeah. type of a Satanist is mm-hmm. uh, the Magister, the Master? Yeah. Um, how how do the sort of the characters work together? What sort mm-hmm. of village is Devil's End? Where are the influences? So all of these, these I hadn't really considered because you're not supposed to consider it when you're watching no. it. Because that's not the intention. The Barry Letts and Robert Sloman didn't write it thinking, we really hope that people will <laughs> will realise that we've ripped off the Midwich Cuckoos or Village of the Damned yeah. for, for the heat, the heat dome. Yeah. They're thinking, that's a good idea. Let's hope nobody notices that we're mm. doing this. Let's hope nobody notices that we're pinching from Nigel Neal for the 15th, yeah. ti- the 15th <laughs> times in, in, in three years. Um, they, they know that people will do that. But they're hoping that that they've they've written it effectively enough that the kind of it kind of flows into your yeah. your head without buffering up against. I think I think rip off is the wrong. I think homage is the word you were thinking of, Matt. Um, it's an homage to uh, Nigel Neal. Homage, possibly, but there's a scene yeah. in Spearhead from Space. That it, <laughs> yeah. it is if you watch Spearhead from Space and Quatermass Two, I frame think, by frame. There is frame by frame a scene yeah. that yeah. homages. Mm, yeah, all right, I'll give you that completely. one. Completely, um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, these ideas that Sloman and Letts are using are, you know, they're attractive for a reason. They're sort of evocative for a reason. They've got atmosphere and they've got texture. So why mm. wouldn't they use it? I mean, it's Doctor Who is this great grab bag of ideas that have been in horror films or science fiction films mm. or dramas for centuries, just kind of reinterpreted for basically children. That's what Doctor Who is. I mean, yeah. Stephen Moffat. Stephen Moffat takes the Ring, the the scariest mm. and the, the American version of the Ring, which I think is scarier than the Japanese version. Yeah, and he manages to to turn it into a children's program, almost suitable for children with Blink. I mean, yeah. that's that's the tradition of Doctor Who that's still mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. So yeah, I did learn quite a lot, a lot yeah. about the demons. And have you read many of the other entries in the the Black Archives? 
Or have you purposely tried not to so that you keep your so kind of, when, uh, own style? When I... So there were two two things I did once I got accepted as... the when Once my pitch got accepted, hmm. I got Image of the Fendal um, to read. Yeah. Because I thought that would be similar. That's got similar... That's got a witch in it, basically. Yeah. It's got a, a Satanist cult. I thought... I, I need to read this book to find out that I'm not treading on their toes or they haven't preempted yeah. me, which they hadn't done. I also read uh, a proof copy of the Time Warrior one. Okay. But I read that because I needed to find out how they were formatted. <laughs> yeah. Because there are footnotes in these things and mm. there's a bibliography in these things and there's yeah. a kind of a structure to these things. So I read that towards the end. Yeah. But uh, to, to be honest, I, I bought one or two or three if mm. I buy any more than that, then I will have to buy all of them. Mm. It's like Big Finish. I I yeah. order Doctor Who action figures. If I buy too many of them, <laughs> I'll have to buy them all because yeah. I need a com- complete collection. And yeah. I so I've resisted doing that. But there are a few I'd want to get. The Awakening mm. I want to get. Yeah. Because that's another one that I was tempted to write. Mm-hmm. Um, Impossible Astronaut I'm tempted to get. And yeah. there are a few by people that I really respect as well. Well, mm-hmm. there's lots by people that I really respect. <laughs> but there are a few by people whose voices I've I've read other things of. Mm-hmm. And so I want to read more about what they think about things. Yeah. But no, no, but not a huge amount. Mm-hmm. Partly because there's a there's a need to be original with these things, because you can't you can't copy people. And there are two approaches to being yeah. original. First, the first approach is you read everything and you try and slot in and avoid everything Mm -hmm. that everybody's written. The second approach is you just don't care. Read as avoid reading too much Mm -hmm. and then just (laughs) trust that your own voice, your own head will give you ideas and roots Mm -hmm. that haven't been shown before. Mm. So, so yeah, that was my approach. Um, so how long from start to finish did it take you to, to complete it? So it was supposed to be about four years, but wow. writing very slowly. No, not writing very slowly, actually. So my process was... Did you write it all by hand or did you, no, did I you typed use a computer? It. Oh, okay. I used a computer, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't using a quill. And a... <laughs> well, that's I, not very authentic, I is it, Matt? I but you should have been was, using goat's blood and an neither apartment. Was, neither was I like Barbara Cartland. I wasn't <laughs> reclining on my chaise long with a secretary. <laughs> Chapter one. More's the pity. <laughs> Miss yeah. Hawthorne. Um, so, but it, so actually, the writing the writing process took mm. took about three months. Yeah. Um, Did you find told. that you had a lot of shortcuts because of the work you'd already done for your degree? So I, that meant you could just take reasonable chunks of that and just. No. Finesse it and no. So I didn't use any material for the PhD uh, for the ah, okay. for the degree, mm-hmm. and actually I probably got more out of writing the book than I got from the the degree because when I did the degree I was a lot younger, uh-huh. and I didn't really understand a lot of it. I did all right, right. in it, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't understand what I was being taught, and I did I wasn't really interested in the history that much, which yeah. for a history a history MA yeah, was that's quite a bit important. of a challenge, yeah. yeah. Um, Whereas I'm much more receptive to that stuff now I've gotten older. Um, but no, none of the material. I'm trying to think. Did I reuse any material? 
No, no, because it was a completely different area. So I was writing a mm-hmm. lot about 16th, 17th century literature yeah. for the degree. Um, and a bit about the Wicker Man. I wrote a long, uh, an essay mm-hmm. on the Wicker Man. And then I wrote a, a, a dissertation on horror movies. But none right. of it, none of it related. So to all it. things are on the fringes of yeah, yeah, the demons, but not um, really. But where it where it did help was, so I spent a lot of time researching. So I read, I read through a lot of books. So there were some key figures that I just knew were going to be involved. Mm-hmm. And so Dennis Wheatley, who wrote, who wrote The Devil Rides Out and lots yeah. of sort of Satanist novels, obviously mm-hmm. he's going to be a figure that's yeah. going to inspire. Um, Let's the Slowman. I knew that yeah. before I I rewatched the Demons. Mm-hmm. Alistair Crowley. That means Alistair Crowley is going to be an influence as second hand, at yeah. least because he was an influence on Dennis Wheatley. Yeah. Um. I knew that, given the timing of the Demons, I knew that the folk horror cycle in cinema was going to be relevant, even though the Demons actually predated some of these things. I think it was made roughly at the same time as The Wicker Man. Mm-hmm. But I knew that these ideas were circulating in society that meant that there was an interest in the occult in the 1970s. So I knew mm-hmm. that was going to be relevant, which meant that Wicker was going to be relevant. So people like Gerald Gardner, who formed, founded Wicker, which is Wicker is the witchcraft, the modern witchcraft religion that was founded mm-hmm. in the 1940s um, in a nudist colony in um, the the New Forest. Um, a bunch of middle class nudists got together and founded this this new modern witchcraft religion. Um, okay, which is now it's it's the only religion founded in the UK in Britain. It's the only native British religion that we have. Okay, um, so I mean you've got you've got people like the Druids who, I mean I've I've only shown a passing interest but i seem to remember hearing a while back that the beginning of the sort of the the druids as we know them now is a lot more of a modern thing i just assumed that it was this sort of ancient cult that's been around since the dawn of time but no they're they're quite so it's it's complicated Mm. so yes it's it's more modern than people think in general yeah but the whole point of these religions and actually i'm not down on them i'm actually think this is a Mm -hmm. this is a good thing um, a lot of these r- religions, one of the things they do is they try to either find or fabricate fabricate a history for themselves mm-hmm. that stretches back as far as possible, as far as they can possibly manage. So yeah. druids, there probably was there probably was kind of a role in society in Celtic times, which could be described as druids. Druid, yeah. druidry as a religion. Mm. is a little bit more shaky. The idea that druidry has always been there. So with witchcraft, it's it's easier. With witchcraft, there's this theory that witchcraft is, and Wicca, is mm-hmm. a modern version of a religion that is un, that has a lineage that is unbroken from Egyptian times, ancient Egyptian times, yeah. to the present day, that there's always been this religion underlying society, underpinning society to the modern day. That's mm-hmm. rubbish. So that was that was there was a scholar in the the nineteen thirties called Margaret Alice Murray who yeah. came up with this idea. She was an Egyptologist and she basically said there's this thing that happened in, in ancient Egypt, there's this thing that happens in the nineteen twenties, there's this thing that happens in the sixteenth, seventeenth century, 
yeah. I'm going to link these three things together as if it's simple. Mm-hmm. And she did. She just made up stuff. It's a yeah. book called Witch Cult in Western Europe. She made up links between these things. She's fantastic. So she's <laughs> rubbish. As a, she was rubbish as an academic, but she's fantastic as a person. And this idea has sort of taken root not only in fiction, but also yeah. in religion, because it's really nice to think that uh, a ritual that you're doing in your dining room is something that ancient Egyptians did a version of back in the day. So, so I thoroughly I, entertaining, but not necessarily. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of that. Accurate. I'm a big fan of of that kind of that kind of belief, even yeah. though it's rubbish and nonsense. <laughs> often rubbish and nonsense. Um, but the the the, uh, the other side thing about Margaret Alice Murray is she wrote she wrote the entry in in witchcraft in the Encyclopedia Britannica okay. in the 1930s, I think, and it was mm. still there in the 1970s. So wow. I grew up with an Encyclopedia mm-hmm. Britannica in the hallway. And so when I grew up, if I mm. wanted to find out about witchcraft, I'd be reading Margaret Murray's ideas, which are nonsense. But, Anyone in their 20s listening to this yeah. will wonder what on earth an encyclopedia was. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but us, us in our early to mid 40s yeah. or late 40s depending on mm, who we are mm. um we encyclopedias were were quite an important source of information yeah. when, when you're growing up and and you know you're reliant on one one academic's voice for each subject yeah. and this mm. in this case it was margaret alice murray so this idea sort of really took root for a great many years and it's it's what letts and sloman would have been drawing on as well because if they yeah. wanted a basic a basic outline of what witchcraft is encyclopedia mm. britannica's right there that's margaret murray's ideas in there yeah her ideas are are nonsense so druids druids are a similar thing yeah um so so when i so i'm not but i'm not in any way dismissive of of wicca as mm. an idea because in the end it's what they do rather than rather than what their history is. So if yeah. if there's a religion that makes people happy and helps them support the environment and and it's a liberal sort of left-leaning religion that's very <laughs> happy and they're celebrating something positive, yeah. then that's, you know, that's fantastic. Well, and that's, good. Yeah. that's kind of what religions should be. Mm. I think that's the purpose of religion. The yeah. fact it's based on Gerald Gardner's basically he's fabricated a book he's basically put mm. a collage book together made it look old and said this is <laughs> ye book of ancient times literally called ye book wow be okay <laughs> and and here's your religion mm. and that's and that's taken root and it's now you know it's in america it's yeah. you know it's it's a big religion wicca mm-hmm. is a big thing and people are really passionate about it yeah. Mm. Were there any kind of moments where you found yourself getting like a writer's block where you just felt like you'd hit a brick wall and there was just no way around it? Or was it quite an, an easy process for you? Yeah, there were. So my, and that's to do with the structure. So I mm. came up with four chapters, chapter ideas for the book. The yeah. first one was about the witchcraft and the demons. Which is fine. So again, mm. Wicker, uh, Gerald Gardner, Alex Saunders is another figure. Margaret Murray, 
looking at what type of witch Miss Hawthorne is, what she does. Um, you'll remember, for instance, Miss Hawthorne holds up an ankh, like yes. a, an Egyptian mm-hmm. symbol at the beginning. Yeah. Margaret Murray. That comes straight from uh, Margaret okay. Murray. Because mm-hmm. Damaris Haysman said, oh, I should really hold up an ankh. And apparently Roger Delgado had views as well and said, yes, right. definitely an ankh. It should mm-hmm. be an ankh. And obviously that's a wicker thing. Yeah. So the witchcraft chapter was fine. The second chapter was um, Satanism, which is distinct mm. from witchcraft, but also uh, Faust and yeah. the role of scientists and the acquisition mm-hmm. of knowledge. So it's all the mastery stuff, the master and cult yeah. stuff in the demons. That's fine. I can draw that from anywhere. Yeah. The third chapter was folk horror. Mm. And what this draws from uh, Nigel Neal and how it relates to the Wicker Man or Witchfinder yeah. General or Village mm-hmm. of the Damned. That's fine. The fourth chapter, I had this fantastic idea of going completely off-piste. Because this wasn't an academic piece of work, I thought, right, mm-hmm. the fourth chapter is going to be this psychogeographic study of Devil's End and Oldbourne. Oldbourne is the village that they filmed in, mm-hmm. which I grew up quite close to. I'm, yeah. And I now live about 20 minutes away from. I was going to say, you loved it so much. You I loved it so to much. It. I came that close to actually moving there myself. I did look <laughs> at houses in Oldbourne to move to. Um, so, so the idea is there's a, there's a kind of a connection between the village of Oldbourne and the village of Devil's End, Mm. and it's how they interrelate and how the archaeology of the actual archaeology of Oldbourne and the fictional archaeology of Devil's End relate and how the geography of the villages relate and the roads around it and how they're used in the, in the series. And I, I had this great idea and I thought, this is going to be brilliant. I can write 20,000 words on this. Mm-hmm. Sat down to plan it and I couldn't work out a way into writing this chapter. It was always yeah. a sort of, oh, and then I'm going to write this chapter. Mm-hmm. And so I started writing and I wrote the first three and then I got to this chapter and I just couldn't couldn't work my way into it. So I did get, I got blocks a little bit with it. Mm. That I, I introduced it and I started writing it and I didn't know where it was going. Um, but then I had an editor called Paul Simpson, who's um, who's a, quite a big... I mean, he's one of these old school fans who he mm. knew Terence Dix and he's connected oh, wow. to, to various people. Um, yeah. And he's the editor of Sci-Fi Bulletin, oh, the, okay. uh, the website Sci-Fi Bulletin now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he edited my work and he was very useful, partly with... Doctor Who knowledge that I'd accidentally got wrong or I'd, you know, preconceptions. Oh. But also, also he he was the one, I think, between us, we came up with the idea of basically just dropping the, <laughs> dropping the chapter and turning <laughs> right. it in, into a conclusion to the whole book rather than uh. a chapter of itself. Mm. Um, so I, my, my book became slightly shorter as a result, mm. um, but it was, it did become better. Um since then, since I'd finished the book, like three years later, I was yeah. having conversations on Twitter about this mythical chapter that I'd failed to find a, a way into. It's like the missing episodes. Like a missing episode. And I was certain, and I still, I continue to be certain that it would have been like the highlight of the book. It would have been a cracking chapter. And I was well, it's very still... easy to say when it's not been published, Matt. Uh, well, absolutely. <laughs> but I worked out a way, I worked out. A, a, a topic for that chapter that would have worked, which is um, 
which is pilgrimages of fans. So fans okay. visiting Doctor Who locations mm-hmm. and what that means to them and what that how that reshapes the series for them. Yeah. And and what that kind of drive because visiting a location is like mm. a religious pilgrimage mm-hmm. to a certain degree yeah. and certainly when i first went to oldbourne that was absolutely what it was i didn't really know where i was going i was with my mate will yeah driving in a a, a mini metro oh wow through that the wiltshire it. countryside and we literally we knew roughly where oldbourne was yeah but we didn't have sat nav back in the day and we no. weren't very good at maps and we <laughs> just sort of turned the corner and there was the church of devil's oh, end wow. And then we didn't know that the barrows were up a track, but we okay. saw the track and we thought, well, let, why don't we go for a walk? Because that mm-hmm. looks like a nice footpath. We yeah. went up the footpath and we just found the, the devil's the hump mm. out of nowhere. Wow. And so it's that kind of that kind of finding locations by surprise and why why you would want to find it, why you would want to visit locations. And Was it a bit discombobulating because you kind of had this image in your mind of where things were based on what you'd seen on the TV and then they didn't quite seem to be in the same place Well, I, in reality or, or not really. Usually it is discombobulating because, yes, you're right, that you visit a location and it's it's completely different from the mm. screen or it's grown or buildings have been demolished or the church is there and the next part of the village is about five miles in a different village. So the awakening's mm-hmm. a bit like that. The, 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 the yeah. church is in a different place from the to the the center or android invasion is a bit like that Mm -hmm. with the demons the charming thing about the demons is actually the locations are in a more sensible place than they are in the actual story okay so in the story they have to drive to the devil's hump and they kind of go out into the roads Mm -hmm. and they get lost and they it's like quite an epic drive but if you listen to the description in in the episode itself yeah. But the landlord says, or somebody says, when they're mm. asked, where's the devil's hump? And they're like, oh, go past the church, up a track, and you can't miss it. And then obviously they, the Doctor and Joe get lost because they yeah. have to fill up fill up mm. half of episode two or whatever, or episode yeah, one. Yeah. But in reality, it's absolutely where the villagers say it is. Yeah. And the village is exactly like Devil's End mm-hmm. because the operational bit of the village is all in one place. You've got yeah. the... You've got the, the green, green, you've got the church, yeah. the pub. You mm. don't have a manor house, but you can imagine that somewhere behind yeah. the church there is a big house. Um, so, I mean, Oldbourne is basically a Doctor Who theme park. Um, well, it still gets used, doesn't it, for conventions and things yeah. when COVID yeah, allows. Yeah, absolutely. So people still go there because it looks exactly the same. They haven't changed it. It's still used for filming as well. I think um, Yeah. there was a series called Glue, Um a okay. few years back, which is sort of a um, mm. crime drama set in the village surrounded by sort of um, horse training grounds. And they filmed, mm-hmm. and I didn't know they filmed it in Oldbourne, but I was sat watching it and I just thought, I recognise that bench. It was very familiar. <laughs> yeah. um, oh my God, that's Devil's End. Um, so so yeah, so in this occasion, it's not discombobulating. It's kind of affirming. Mm. It's, it's sort of, okay. it's sort of filling in the blanks in the mm. story a little bit because you can you can imagine that you could kind of just put John Pertwee and Katie Manning in this location and they could do it like a theatrical production <laughs> quite quite yeah. happily yeah um but yeah so that was my fourth chapter that I never that I only now could write but I think I think the published book was probably stronger for yeah. 
for not having a free form so, experimental chapter at the end. <laughs> so there's no likelihood of a author's preferred text version coming out with the uh, oh yeah the I get onto ob- get onto obverse books no but <laughs> it did give me so I think there is still mileage and I might be wrong but there is mileage in a book about visiting locations because there's mm. been there have been yeah. books which are guides to locations which mm-hmm. are quite interesting i've got a few around the place but that's a very practical yeah. this was filmed here it's open to the public there's a nice pub nearby but the actual yeah. the actual sort of philosophy the actual kind of drive to visit locations i think there is something in there that would make for an yeah. interesting book because i think there's there a twitter account reasons. and i can't remember for the life of me I think it's called Ghost Monuments, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, it's a guy who just goes around and finds locations where police yeah. boxes used to be yeah. and does little sort of superimposed... It's brilliant. ...sort of transposed images. Very, very it's clever. Very good. It's very good. And also, and this is a different thing, but Clayton Hickman, every every oh, Christmas yeah. he does an advent. An oh, advent my goodness. Series yeah, of they're tweets. amazing. And, but this is another thing. I mean, there's not visiting locations, but it is kind of... It is kind of time travel when you. Well, it's bringing it back to yeah, life, isn't it? Yeah, when you take an really old photograph feel like and colorize it, and you know, really yeah. kind of um, clean it up. Yeah, they look like they've been taken yesterday. It's it's really, a real highlight of yeah. my, my Christmas because yeah, because in likewise, this COVID yeah. world, I don't have much alive. No, I mean we are both sad old men, so that probably does yeah, speak yeah. volumes. But but uh, it is a yeah. form of it is a form of time time travel. It's what Peter Jackson's doing mm. is. Yeah, it's oh, taking old yeah. film and kind mm. of fixing it, bringing it to life. And it's not like it's not yeah. like colorizing a Laurel and Hardy film. We had the guys on from Doctor Hugh okay. a while yeah. back when they colorized an episode of the Dalek's Master Plan, right. which looks stunning from the the clips that I've seen. So that technology has moved on a long way. So I think they could. Yeah, with the right people involved, they could have made those look really good. But at the time, because that was one of the examples I gave when we did that episode of just those Lauren Hardys were just the colours were just yeah not very realistic and just quite off putting. Whereas these days, it's really moved on incredibly. Even you know, accomplished, I say amateurs, not in a disparaging way but people who just do it as a hobby can make really impressive looking colorizations i mean as a side note peter jackson's a massive doctor who fan we know this mm. surely surely there's something in the back of his mind <laughs> that says yeah i could just get wetter i could just employ yeah. wetter to recreate 10th planet part four yeah with motion capture that's surely mm. that's i mean so when it comes to the collection season one two three oh Maybe four as well. Peter, if you're listening, let's make it happen. I mean, it wouldn't make it any more commercial. I mean, it would be a ridiculous business decision. <laughs> I mean, doing the Beatles was one thing. And doing the World yeah. War One thing was one thing. Doing Doctor Who, that's mm-hmm. a much more niche audience for it. But, yeah. So, so yeah. So, that that was my fourth chapter. And I, that, that mm. is a potential book that I'm kind of mulling over. But I will probably never actually come around to write it. Are you prepared to uh, mention the story that you've had on the sort of back burner, thinking about yeah writing? Well, or are you gonna? There were several. There were several. I wanted to do the awakening, so I had I had yeah. an idea for the awakening because the awakening is very similar mm. to the demons. 
But yeah. but there are I didn't want to just write about witchcraft again. But there's something about the awakening that it's got that pageant, it's got that civil war reconstruction in it. That's a whole new area, and that yeah. hasn't been done in Doctor Who before. That kind of mm. recreating the past in a kind of a yeah. fair fairground type pageantry way. Mm-hmm. So I had a, yeah. a vague idea about writing something about that and the village. Um, then that was taken, which was probably a relief for me. Um, <laughs> I then thought, well, I could write. My PhD is on the American president. I could write about uh, Impossible Astronaut, uh, mm-hmm. Day of the Moon. That's got Nixon in it. Yeah. Nixon, I could yes. write great length about a whole chapter on Nixon, depictions mm-hmm. of presidents. I could really go for it. Then that was taken, which was probably a relief for yeah. me because I really didn't want to write about American presidents again. <laughs> No. I think the witch, I, I never get this right, Witch Finders is the one that hasn't been taken. Okay. And it's again, it's witchcraft, but it's it's historical witchcraft. So I didn't mention, mm. I didn't talk about James I in the Demons okay. one. And James I is a really interesting. So there are, there are two sides to witchcraft. And this is where I go a bit mm-hmm. professorship, professorish again. Yeah. So witchcraft is like high and low culture mixed together so the low Mm -hmm. culture bit of witchcraft is the old lady on the edge of the village kind of mixing up poultices and helping people yeah and then bad mouthing Mm -hmm. her neighbors so that her neighbor thinks (laughs) that the milk has gone sour and then her neighbor bad mouthing the old woman in a counter curse and witchcraft happily existed in small villages for ages of just cursing and counter cursing exactly like social media so if you think about nice a day when you've just trolling yeah, each you've other. been on social media in the morning and it's not even directed at you potentially you've just read something yeah. that's so ridiculous uh-huh. that it's just upset you for the entire day mm, that's witchcraft mm. that's words that have affected yeah. your day in a negative way or a positive way and has changed mm. the way you live it hasn't changed the weather but it's changed the way you perceive the weather maybe it's changed the way yeah, you yeah. taste things because you're in a really foul mm-hmm. mood so your cornflakes don't taste as sweet I mean, hopefully it's not covid but Ho- yeah. you're hoping it's not covid <laughs> so that's witchcraft. But this happened yeah. in villages. This was low culture. This was sort of, mm. you know, folk knowledge. Yeah. But also witchcraft operates on a high cultural level. So it's it's mm. magicians and it's, you know, Elizabeth yeah. I had John Dee. She had a pet magician that would operate mm. magic. They had astrologers. Yeah. They had alchemists. Um, James yeah. I believed that which at some point believed that witches were conspiring against him this is james the first who who survived the gunpowder plot so there mm. were absolutely conspiracies against james the first it wasn't yeah, yeah. paranoia he just thought no. it might be witches he went to a, a witch mm-hmm. trial in north berwick where mm. the witches there weren't accused of souring a neighbor's milk or causing a uh, a hen not to lay eggs or something they were accused of trying to sink boats belonging to the king to adversely affect right. the govern governance of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boris Johnson will probably will probably suggest that witchcraft is involved at some mm. point at some point. And twenty five percent of the country will believe him. Um so Sadly. so James I high culture, so this is a high culture thing. Mm-hmm. The demons, yeah. a lot of it there there's sort of occult stuff, but a lot of the witchcraft stuff yeah. is low culture. The mm-hmm. Witchfinders has James the First as a character. There's a whole chapter to be written about James the First. Yeah. In the Witchfinders, the other good thing about the Witchfinders is 
the person that wrote it still alive and yeah. on Twitter. So if I was mm-hmm. going to write my amazing black archive on the Witchfinders, which may have already been taken, but I don't know yet, I would uh, ask Joy Wilkinson for an interview, maybe. Yeah. Either a, mm-hmm. you know, send her some questions and just ask her to write back or you know record a Skype interview or something. Uh-huh. A whole chapter based on her influences and what research she mm. did and what her interests yeah. in witchcraft and the occult is and what her cultural mm-hmm. influences are. That's a whole chapter. Yeah. But also Richard Wells. Have you encountered Richard Wells on Twitter? I'm no. sure you have. Um, oh, so possibly. Richard Wells did... Um, he does He does kind of mock woodcut drawings of sort of based on the Wicker Man or, um, or the Ben Wheatley. So he did one on um, a field in England. So it's kind of okay. black and white black and white printed mm-hmm. line drawings. Yeah. But he also uh-huh. um he also does he also produces props for things like Doctor Who. So if you want a sixteenth oh, okay. century manuscript with weird, mm-hmm. creepy illustrations in it, then he'll do one. He did He's your he man. did the MR James Mezzo tint. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, okay. So he he created mm-hmm. the Mezzo tint is about this kind of uh, this kind of lithograph or this woodcut, not woodcut, but this sort of etched print of a house yeah. that kind of creepily mm-hmm. changes as this guy looks at it and a figure appears in it. And he did mm-hmm. he did that for television. So he's on Twitter. Oh, wow. So he would be interesting to interview about yeah. how he, what his attraction to the subject is, how he goes about producing You've already sold it objects. to me, Matt. You need to get on the, onto uh, the Upverse guys. I know, but time. And also, I think... I genuinely think now that other people should write it because... Well, if you spent less time doing podcasts, you'd have more time to do your writing. <laughs> yeah. So we're, to- we're now talking at 20 to 3 on a work day. <laughs> I was persuaded to come on a podcast. On. I think... but I, And I'm, I'm sort of half serious about this now, that one of the great things about the Black Archive books is... It's it gives people when you're when you do a degree and you you do a, an MA or a PhD, you mm-hmm. get to the end of it and there's a mourning period because you're not researching, you're not writing, you don't normally yeah. know what to do with it. You're applying for academic mm-hmm. jobs, which are really difficult to get into because academic jobs aren't chosen on the basis of how well you've written your PhD or what subject mm-hmm. you've written your PhD in. They're chosen on the basis mm-hmm. of how many conferences did you attend during your PhD. Did you manage to blag X number of papers whilst you're writing your PhD? What did you this do? This sounds a lot like sour grapes to me, Matt. Well, I wasn't told about all of this. <laughs> and actually, I'd, I've never applied for an academic job. That's one thing. Mm. But there's lots of early career academics who yeah. really want to like write academically or keep their mm. eye in or yeah, who yeah. have voices that need to be heard. They're all in their early 20s, mm. early to yeah. mid 20s, and they all they all have different voices. And a lot of them are women. A lot mm-hmm. of them are of colour as well. Yeah. So I think the last thing uh, a, a series of Doctor Who books needs at the moment is a yeah. mid early to mid 40s white, white guy. No, you're absolutely right, Matt. Yeah. yeah. So that's, yeah. that's another okay. reason beyond, beyond I don't have time why I'm kind of <laughs> hoping that somebody else takes it. I'd write it with so- I'd write it with somebody else. Obviously, if anybody's oh. interested, I'm happy to collaborate. There you go. 
if you're listening and you're interested in going for it, yeah. then I'll be putting all of Matt's contact details in the show notes. Oh, yeah. Uh, so if anyone's interested in reading this tome uh, where should they be pointing their so it's browsers it's still it's still on sale um Mm -hmm. and it's on the obverse books website so you go Mm -hmm. to obverse books which is steadily filling with more and more of these black archive books Mm -hmm. and they do something called the silver archive as well and oh. I think they might be doing something called the Golden Archive as well, but I might be mm-hmm. wrong about that, um, or the White Archive. Um, so yeah. yeah, so go to the Obverse Books website, and you, mm. you'll be able to find it by by hunting down my name or the or the demons. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, we're going to go for a quick break, and we're going to have a musical interlude with a bit of music from a friend of the show, Timo Peach, aka Momo Tempo, and we'll be back after this. Fancy a drink? Buy a drink. Trip and spill the drink. Like a girl? I go up to the girl. Sneeze on the girl. Have you had the virus, the modern malaise that lurks in your mind like a sign of the end days? Torn from the screen for a break, there's a crash. Your frozen brain thinks in a flash. Come on, undo!
invited on to Nice New Girlfriend's Balcony. Knock Nice New Girlfriend's Cat. Off Balcony. And welcome back. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, Matt, it is time for our listeners' recommendations. What would you like to recommend for our listeners? What have you been enjoying recently? Oh, so I've spent days preparing for this because I, because I absolutely <laughs> remembered that, that we're supposed to come up with recommendations. So I, oh, yeah. I've got three things, one of which is quite recent, mm-hmm. one of which is almost impossible to get hold of, which is useful. Excellent. Um, so I'll start with the impossible to get hold of one. So just before Christmas, Gilmero del Toro um, tweeted some of his um, recent influences, some of the things that he's excited about. Um, mm-hmm. And there were films, books, television. And one of them is an Italian yeah. film called The Arcane Enchanter um, from 1996. Okay. Um, the, mm-hmm. the name, usually the name of the director escapes me. I think it's, uh, uh, no, Pupi Avati. Is a really great name <laughs> of a director. He did a, a film called that The House with Laughing Windows, which is a giallo giallo movie from the nineteen seventies, which okay. is also good. Um, but the Arcane mm. Enchanter is this kind of gothic. It's kind of a mixture of um, it's got bits of the Name of the Rose in it, bits of the Wicker Man. Mm. Um, it's got a sort of twist at the end. It's kind of a ghost story uh, set in the medieval library. Um, it's really, it's really good, and it's a shame that it's it's really difficult to get a hold of. But um, I found a copy, and it, I can I can attest that it is really watchable and worth worth watching. I'm trying to persuade um, members of another podcast that they might want to um, to talk about it at some point. I um, see. The second one is very recent, and it's Get Back, which is Peter Jackson's yeah. oh, Beatles. So good. You've seen this, I assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. I'm a, I listen really to a, the Pilot TV podcast, which is a kind of a branch line off the Empire podcast about TV. Uh-huh. They haven't mentioned mm. it once, and really? for me, it's one of the one of the TV shows mm-hmm. of last year. It's this extraordinary yeah. kind of reconstruction of the of the Let It Be um, studio, mm. uh, the, the, the yeah. Let It Be studio recordings that mm-hmm. that somehow it's huge. It's it's like endlessly long. But it somehow yeah. like keeps you gripped, and it might be because I really like the Beatles, and I'm a fan of the Beatles, and I know the music. I think that might have to be a prerequisite going in. I mean, I'm sure people who aren't massive Beatles fans will probably still take something from it, but um, it is a a big old um, chunk of time to commit to. It is. It is. I suppose you can dip in and out. Well, of it. well, people now are doing it because this is the period back in whatever mm. 1969, 1970, when it was yeah, taking yeah. place. And so it is possible mm. now to watch 
the bits that are filmed on the days that you're watching yeah. it on. So you break uh-huh. it into whatever, 14, 14 yeah, chunks yeah. and watch it. That would work mm. quite well. Um, mm. But it is. It's, I mean, and it tells you something that you didn't know about the Beatles. It reveals a lot of mysteries about that period. It kind of yeah. untangles a lot of misconceptions about that period. Um, yeah, they don't. I know. I mean, spoilers. At one point, George walks out for several days. Yeah. But I never felt like I always felt. I mean, I don't remember really watching the Let It Be film before, but the the whole general feeling about it is just one of it was all a bit of a downer, and everyone was at each other's throats, and it was just, and that was the reason why they came back to do Abbey Road because they wanted to, they didn't want it to end like that. They wanted to end on a positive mm-hmm. note. But actually, when you see the footage, there, it's a lot of really uplifting stuff there well there's i think there's there's three maybe two or three conceptions based on mm. the original film that have perpetuated yeah. for ages one of which was george harrison walking out was the kind of the the low point of the band's history and the start of their decline mm. the second was that yoko ono somehow broke up the beatles yeah um and actually watching get back you can mm-hmm. see, you can see the moment where the start of the Beatles ending happens, and it happens off screen. And it happens with I think John Lennon going for a meeting with Alan Klein and saying, yeah. "This is a great guy. <laughs> I'm going for a meeting mm. with them. Paul, you should come as well." No, no, I'm <laughs> I'm going for a pasty somewhere. Um, yeah, and yeah. that's that's the moment when the Beatles mm. start to break up, and it's not in any of these studio sessions. They're actually George Harrison is actually really wanting to be there but is feeling imposter syndrome is not Mm. like he's feeling like he's not being respected he's feeling like he shouldn't be there and why don't they get eric clapton here to to play one point that's 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 a suggestion isn't it and and that's coming from him he's he's which i'm glad they didn't in retrospect yes obviously um Mm. but but it's completely sort of rewritten what we think of as the breakup of the Beatles, because this isn't a breakup yeah. story. This is kind of, you know, this is a high point in their in their recording career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was Get Back, which is really which was yeah. a highlight of last year. The the final one is a recent horror movie, I think, from 2020, 2021 called Broadcast Signal Intrusion. Um, and this is yeah. a it's a Canadian horror movie, or maybe American Canadian horror movie set in Chicago, and mm-hmm. and it has a Doctor Who link, and that right. There was a a moment in the nineteen eighties when an episode of Doctor Who was broadcast in in Chicago. Ah, uh, yes, and, I think I know where you're going. And the signal was hijacked. The signal was hijacked by pranksters yeah. dressed up mm-hmm. like Max Headroom. Yeah, and he appeared for like. I don't know, two minutes mm-hmm. and then it went back. And I think yeah. it happened twice yeah. that this this prankster mm-hmm. um hijacked the signal. And it's it's obviously some drunk frat frat prank yeah. by by a kind of a hacker mm-hmm. or a, a freak. A freak yeah. with PH, not F. Mm-hmm. But this horror movie sort of says, What if this wasn't a prank? What if what if this was a kind of a ring like kind of serial killer hacking into the signal? 
and then displaying the the kind of the kidnapped figures of girls that he's he's kidnapped and it's linked to the disappearance mm. of these women okay. at particular times through through the yeah. and there are sort of these these recordings of the hacked signals on tape that a guy is somehow come mm-hmm. into possession through and he does a kind of a blade runner like analysis of of the the studio behind them as he's recording and he's kind of tracking down this mm-hmm. kind of weird weird hacker so it's kind of the ring it's got bits of the ring it's got yeah. bits of um blow up so that kind of analysis of mm-hmm. of photographs and images um mm-hmm. and it's got a kind of a a parody of doctor who in it so it actually uh-huh. has they actually obviously draw on doctor who but they have this kind of american mm-hmm. series called i don't know doctor y or professor y or whatever one of these classics okay. sort of not mm-hmm. doctor who but really is acted yeah. into so it's kind of done quite quite professor space quite time nicely um and yeah it's definitely worth it's definitely worth checking out it is really creepy and it's effective um and it has that doctor who connection uh-huh. Okay, excellent. Thank you for that. I've got a couple, both fairly lowbrow, really, I have to admit. The first one is I'm catching up on Cobra Kai, okay. which is the uh, the series on Netflix, which is like a continuation of the story of the Karate Kid. So you've got the two principal actors from the first Karate Kid film, and they're transposed into the modern day and it's kind of catching up with their story. So I think the series that's just dropped is Series 4. Um, so I've just started that one now, which is it's quite cheesy, as you'd expect. So I've, I've heard it's really good. It's very good, and I yeah. haven't I haven't watched it because I'm not a massive... I find the, the film to be quite depressing because I saw it so yeah. much when I was a kid. But I understand that it's completely different from the film. Yeah. But I haven't quite got I mean, past that barrier. I was probably the only person in the 80s that didn't watch The Karate Kid or any of the okay. subsequent follow-ups. So, right. yeah, maybe I didn't have that sort of baggage going in, but I really enjoy it. I think it's great fun. So you, di- you didn't go to school waxing and then waxing off? <laughs> no, no, de- okay. most definitely yeah. not, no. Uh, but, yeah, it's fun. It's, yeah, a little bit... Um, you can kind of see some of the uh, the plot points getting slightly uh, signposted, but it's enjoyable nonetheless. It's you know it's a half hour show which is just fun to dip in and out of. So I recommend that. And the other thing which I've only just gotten round to watching, just because I've had a bit more spare time recently, is the release on Blu-ray of the collection season seventeen. Oh wow! Yes. Okay. Which, uh, as everyone knows, is one of the uh, most uh, celebrated seasons of the classic it's, series of Doctor Who. It's let's be honest. It's, let's be honest with this and trial of a time lord. It's the one you buy. Well, I mean, you say <laughs> to get, that. To get <laughs> um, I mean, I did need another version of Sharda because I've only got the the three previous ones. <laughs> so, um, so what what's the difference? The Sharda because I've got it. Yeah. I, I've got it ready to watch. Uh-huh. I've watched a bit of. I've got watched a lot of the documentaries. Yes. What they've done something with Sharda. I've not they? watched they've it produced... yet, but they've turned it because the 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 most recent version before this was a, an animated version on Blu-ray, yeah. um, but it was condensed down into a sort of uh, a mini movie, so they weren't okay. discrete yeah. episodes. So now the new version is split into 
I think it's six episodes as it would have been on broadcast. I think with some okay. additional stuff. I quite like that in. animation. Yeah. I quite I did, enjoyed I it. I quite liked it as well. I thought it was. Have they also got the Tom Baker introductions from the VHS? I, where he, I think he they've got all. I think it's basically all the versions are on the disc. Okay. So whichever is your favorite <laughs> version, it's there on that disc. Um, so that's great. I mean, as you mentioned, the a lot of the, the appeal of these collections is the the additional content. So you've got all. Well, I think in most cases all of the content that was on the DVDs, plus some newly filmed stuff. So um, there's a really nice uh, documentary about Douglas Adams, which was uh, quite nice to watch. I watched that earlier today, and uh, there's a making of uh, Destiny of the Daleks with uh, some of the cast from that. Dear Tom's looking quite a bit more frail in the recent yeah. interviews, but then again, I suppose he is well into his 80s he's, now. So He's almost 90. Yeah, now, so. yeah. And, I mean, unless he... I mean, you should really get together with William Russell to, <laughs> to try and find that elixir of life. Yes. Just to yeah. just give him a boost. Yeah, but no, it's great to see those. And uh, So, yes, if you can get a copy, it's... Uh, definitely recommended are they more accessible now to buy or are they still selling out well i think immediately i think even if you don't because they initially released them in the limited edition packaging which is the slightly bigger box with the the nice posh booklet that comes with it and then uh later down the line they come out as the regular edition so um it's a slightly more uh, shelf pleasing slimmer case and uh, less paraphernalia It's the one thing I was talking earlier about not buying too many black archives mm-hmm. or Doctor Who figures in case I get like into the cycle. Yeah. The Blu-rays are the one thing mm-hmm. that from the beginning I thought I'm going to have to get these yeah. immediately yeah. and keep getting mm-hmm. them because otherwise if I if I miss three, yeah. then That's it suddenly it. becomes too much to, to get. Yeah. So I have actually proudly kept up to, <laughs> kept up to date with it. And I think that's been a good good decision. Yeah, no. Even though they are being re-released. I do. I really enjoy them. And uh, it's one of the few things I collect these days. So, um, yeah, yeah, I certainly recommend that. So that brings us to the end of this anniversary special. I'd just like to thank Matt for coming on once again. You're welcome. And thank you, listeners, for sticking with us for all this time. You poor things. And when's when's the next episode? Uh probably uh, twenty thirty two. I would think. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's a linear progression. So it is. It is. Ten, yes. It's been ten years, then twenty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so welcome to Nerdology. Here we're celebrating the eightieth anniversary of Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> oh my back! <laughs> so thanks once again to Matt. And if you want to hear more of his musings, you can hear him on the Strangers in Space podcast. So until next time, thank you all so much for listening and we'll be back again soon. If you want to get in touch, you can email us at nerdologyuk at gmail.com or you can tweet us at nerdologyuk. We're also on Facebook, just type in Nerdology UK podcast. And also now you can leave your audio feedback. So there's a link in the show notes, you can click on that. Or uh, if you're on the Anchor website listening to the show, there is a little button that says message and you just click on that 
and you can use your mobile phone or your computer and you can leave an audio message.